Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Hamm. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast, brought to you by Max Muscle. I am James Hamm. Joining me today, Miss Katie Christensen, sign line reporter for the Sacramento Kings. Katie, how are you? I'm doing all right, James. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm at home, and I don't have to deal with all the chaos of the road. (laughs) You've been fighting a cold for like three, four weeks. I keep telling you to get antibiotics. You seem to be feeling a little bit better. (laughs) I am. It's it's funny how when you travel so much, you don't have a lot of time to go to the doctor. (laughs) I know, and it's like going and sitting in an emergency room isn't exactly like ideal for your lifestyle either, so... So, all right, let's get right to it. We got too much chaos going on with the Sacramento Kings. They're on a three-game losing streak. They've lost three out of four on the road. Things have kind of spun out. Uh, What is the latest you're hearing on the Matt Barnes situation? It does sound like he took the team charter with with the team from, from New York to Dallas. But what's going on there that you've seen so far? You know, I don't think that, I mean, I, I, we did our radio show this morning and then I immediately got on the bus to go to the airport. So, um, I don't know that there is any other news, um, since this morning that, that I'm aware of. I mean, there was a post that, that he put on his Instagram, um, account that just said, there's always two sides to a story, the side the media constantly uh, or consistently tries to paint of me and what actually happened. Don't believe everything you read. And that was uh, earlier today. So uh, if there's one thing I do know about just situations like this in general, um, the media does very, very much kind of jump to kind of hot take cannon um, and they don't allow things to play out uh, kind of in a legal system. So, you know, the, I saw the same video that everybody else saw. Matt seemed extremely calm in that video. Um, I don't really you know, from everything I've gathered, you know, from from the same sources you're probably gathering them from is that, you know, that he's wanted for questioning because of the the incident that occurred at a nightclub in New York last night. Um, but there's no charges that have been filed against him. I know that his lawyer is cooperating. He and his lawyer are cooperating with the NYPD in terms of trying to get this incident taken care of. Um, but I, I do know, and this is, I don't, I'm going to preface by what I'm saying by just making sure people know that I'm not making excuses for anybody. The reality is when you are a professional athlete and in the public eye, you are constantly, um, kind of at risk for just when you are out publicly for things happening, for people approaching you for a number of different things that can go wrong that people like you and me, James, don't really have to deal with. So I don't know what happened. Obviously, we have to wait and see. I hope for Matt's sake and for the King's sake that this is a a false allegation. But at this point, we just have to wait and see. Okay, so, you know, you are a former player. And I mean, 
it's typical. It's it's okay for players to be out and about. I mean, they didn't have a game for two days. Uh, mm-hmm. They're in New York City. Him and Demarcus are out blowing off a little bit of steam. I mean, this is typical, especially in a city like New York. Everyone is out, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the kind of the reality of it is uh, from what I witness. You know, granted, I'm not out and about myself, but I don't know players on this team to be out at nightclubs very often. I don't, I've never heard of it happening the night before a game. Um, at least this season, there was the incident last year, you know, where there was another member of the team that was caught by TMZ out. Um, I believe it was in LA, mm-hmm. um, but that was after a game. And I believe it was, you know, we had a back to back the next night. Um, but, uh, quite honestly, it's not an issue now to, to be out and go to a nightclub in New York or whatever city you're in. When we, you know, you play a game on Sunday night, you don't play again until Wednesday. There's nothing wrong with that happening. You, you hope that they're, you know, having a little bit of fun. That's part of the thing about being on the road is it does allow you as a team to kind of bond because you get to go and do things together that you normally wouldn't do at home. Um, so personally, I don't have a problem with this, uh, in terms of, oh, there was a couple players out at a nightclub that shouldn't be an issue, um, given the circumstances. Okay. Katie, this has been a weird road trip overall. I mean, we start out mm-hmm. the Philadelphia situation was probably the most odd situation I've seen. <laughs> I mean, you, you were there. We kept coming back to you while you were on the floor, but Doug and Coz and I, we had an hour and a half pregame show. We just kept going. Yeah. It was it was just absolutely bizarre. What was it like to be there and kind of see this this sort of weird phenomenon that happens on the floor? You almost slip and fall. I mean, it's just really a weird all around evening. I've never seen anything like that uh, covering the NBA or in any other sport that I've covered or played. Nothing. I've never seen anything like that. And, um, it's, it, it, you know, and from talking to G man and from Jerry Reynolds and, and Grant guys who have been in, in the league 30 plus years, they've never been a part of it or heard of it happening either. So this is a very rare thing to happen. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, overall <laughs> it's, it's such a bizarre thing to be ready. Like I was getting ready to go on air. I was finishing up kind of my work for what I was going to be covering that night and I had heard earlier in the evening, I had overheard a security guard talking to some maintenance people for the, for the facility um, saying, hey, you need to get out there. There's complaints about the floor and the condensation. And I had kind of alerted our producer to it at that point, like this could be an issue going forward. But I thought it could be like where it's maybe a little slippery during the game if we see players slipping something I could report on and then as as time got closer to the game about an hour later it was just a a a frenzy on the on the court and you had team officials down there you had the the you know officiating crew out there you had league officials that were out there trying to figure out what to do and I talked to one executive who told me look, we've dealt with condensation before. They had pumped up the air conditioner to try and get you know the temperature down and the condensation to go away. But this official said, this is not condensation. We've never seen anything like this before and we don't know what to do. And that's when I was like, wow, this is just, just you couldn't write something better than this. So yeah, you know, you guys on the uh, back in the studio and us running around trying to get more and more information. It was a bizarre night. 
And the weird thing for us was that we were told, I mean, I had my sources telling me like 30 minutes in, 25 minutes into the telecast, into our pregame, that there would be no game. The game was canceled because there was nothing they could do. And then the Philly, the the folks in Philly just kept stringing it out. And I mean, we even got to that point where there was the PA announcer to make an announcement and then it wasn't the announcement we expected. He extended it out even more. And even at that time, we had already known for so long is that just was it just a function of the chaos or or was one hand not commuting communicating to the other or were they just trying to sell a bunch of beer no uh, and i heard you guys say that and we had information that we were not able to report um and that's kind of how some of these things kind of happen as they're happening there's things that they give you information so that you have it but they're not allowing you to report it at that time Uh, When it comes down to a situation like canceling a game, Commissioner Silver has to be contacted before that is officially announced, where we knew that the court was unplayable. The players uh, at that point had refused to play that night as well um, because it was just too dangerous and they were not comfortable going out there on that playing surface. It was really came down to Commissioner Silver being informed of what was going on before that official announcement could be made, especially to the fans in Philly. Now that makes a ton of sense. Now they're trying to wedge this game in. We still have no idea where they're going to stick that game in, but it, it it's bound to make any other road trip much less palatable. This was actually a really nice road trip for you, although you're gone for a long time. It's not running and gunning everywhere like the last couple of trips have been where it's all back-to-backs. So, I mean, the team should be really well rested at this point. That's what it seems like. You would think so. I mean, there hasn't, we played a back-to-back kind of to start this trip. It was uh, Brooklyn, Washington. Then there was a day off in Philly. That game was not played. So then, you know, you move forward in the road trip and we played, um, gosh, even I'm losing track of this road trip already. Boston on Friday. Uh, Boston, Boston Friday and then New York uh, Sunday, which that's that's pretty nice. That's a game every other day that allows you, but with that Philly game being canceled, you go from playing on Monday and waiting again until playing on Friday. So uh, Coach Yeager was happy to get some good quality practice time in on the road, which is something that is, is a rarity in the NBA. So that did happen because of this Philly game being canceled. But then you have this bizarre thing where we play – you know, Sunday night in New York, and we don't play again until Wednesday in Dallas. So that's another situation where you kind of have more rest. And it's great to get rest, but it also very much affects any kind of flow and momentum that you have built up. And this team, you know, I I don't think it's a rest issue. I think it's a a time on the floor with each other issue. They've been notorious at coming out uh, to bad starts. The bench has been very good. Then we saw the bench in New York, and they did not look good. But they, you know, there's an anomaly. Maybe it's, you know, you can't expect them to be great every single night. There's going to be some rough nights, but it also might be just the awkwardness of the schedule over this last week. Um, but yeah, that adding that road trip or that that game to a road trip, one of the games or one of the days that they were looking to add that game would have been January 30th. Now we haven't heard anything confirming when this game is going to be added to the schedule but let's say if it were to be added january 30 james it would be uh adding a back-to-back 
to the longest road trip of the season, both in length and in games played. That road trip already has two back-to-backs on it, so it would go from a seven-game trip to an eight-game trip that has three back-to-backs. That is not at all fair to to the Kings to, you know, it's already a difficult schedule, and they've had a difficult schedule in terms of number of back-to-backs played and so on and so forth. And so I don't know what the Kings organization and Vlade is going to do with the league in terms of discussing this with them, but, you know, I know that they feel very much that this was Philadelphia's uh, fault and that they should not be punished for it. So what comes of it, I don't know at this point. Yeah, and we're hearing the same thing. We're hearing that even all the way like 10 o'clock in the morning when the Kings went in for shoot-around, they, they went right to Philadelphia and said, hey, look, something's wrong with your floor then. And yeah, they, they, they didn't, did. The coaching staff informed them that morning at shoot-around, yeah. yeah. And they didn't address it then, and they, they, weren't, they didn't keep a watchful eye on it to see what was happening. Yeah. I mean, Well, I do know they had, they had youth basketball games that day between shoot-around and game time. Um, they had youth basketball games where they opened up the loading dock doors. And it was 65 degrees that day in Philly, and it was raining, and the ice was down in there. So that whole thing, I think, yes, it probably was slippery anyway because of the weather and the ice being down. And then when you opened up those loading dock doors, um, allowing a lot of that outside kind of humidity and weather to, to kind of come into the building, I think it created a bigger problem as the day went along. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it was a bizarre thing. You don't see it happen. The global warming exists. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh it was a perfect storm to get it all to happen. Now you mentioned one other thing there we're going to talk about, and that is the slow starts and it's yeah. just become uh, an epidemic with this team. I don't even know what to say on most nights. You know, I even tweeted out, uh, during the Knicks game, Hey, it's 13 to nine. It doesn't look like they're going to get off to a slow start. And then they proceeded to like miss every single shot from then on. I think I jinxed them. But Dave Yeager had a comment, and I think it was following the the Boston game, where you asked him, is there anything else you can do to uh to get the players ready to, you know, to stop the slow starts? And he answered, No, no. And then you said, Well, is it all all on the players then? And he said, Yep. Was that as startling to you as it, it was jarring watching it on TV because it was like, wait, like you're just putting it all on them. It has nothing to do with rotations or lineups or. No, I, that wasn't jarring to me at all. Um, and I didn't feel like it was kind of a moment where he was throwing his players under the bus. I actually kind of felt it was quite the opposite. Um, and, and I'll kind of explain. Okay. I asked the question because the question needed to be asked. Mm-hmm. They have been off to notoriously bad starts, and it's kind of snowballed and gotten worse and worse. And, yes, the lineups have been changing during that course. So I don't know that you can say, hey, what more can you do? How many more different lineups can you put out there on the floor? Uh, it, obviously, it's an issue. I asked the question, um, and, you know, his response in turn, you know, is, nope, there's nothing I can do. Well, <laughs> from my own personal experience as a player, that – question is 100% correct. Uh, When you are an athlete and you go out there, you have as much feel for the game as the coaching staff does. And really when it comes down to it, a coach decides who is on the floor, decides what the plays are, will tell you and give you guidance defensively on what to do. But when it comes to actually performing, that is up to you. 
and that is your responsibility. And you know as a team, as, as five guys out there on the floor, when you are not playing well, that is when you have to come together and you have to figure out a way to do it amongst each other because it's not a play call. It's not putting a different guy out there. It is the five of you in that moment figuring it out. And so I, I do agree with him to a very large extent. I mean, it is the players have to figure this out. It's not like it's been a couple games. This has been something that has been ongoing. And then the New York game, I, I really feel like it was, I don't want people to get overly kind of uh, worried about that and, and just kind of pile on because the entire team just could not hit the broadside of a barn. They couldn't throw a rock in the ocean. It was if they were standing in the middle of it, you know? Yeah, so it was brutal. I, those, there's going to be nights like that and it's going to happen. Um, so I kind of throw that out as an anomaly, but I, I am curious to see here in Dallas on Wednesday, how this team comes out against a team that is not a good team right now in the NBA. And this is a team, this is a game that they must win. It, they should win. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting to see how the players respond and how they come together because it's really up to them. Yeah, I, you know the Dallas the Dallas game is sort of the giant giant huge game that you can't lose. I mean, I went through doing stats. They're they're last in every single category you can possibly think of: rebounding, assists, field goal percentage, free throw attempts, scoring. They are the worst basketball team in the NBA right now, and you. It, it's been a tough road trip, but how much does this team need that? walking you know out of the six game road trip or now five game road trip to just know that you know if again if they could have got if they would have played the Philly game most likely they would have won the Philly game but then to come out of it and say you know we could have been three and three on this trip at least it wasn't a complete disaster two and three isn't nearly as bad as it sounds and you know let's move forward yeah, I mean, it's important. The game is important, and it's it's even more important because it's a little bit of a trap game. Um, obviously, Dallas won the other night. I'm trying to recall off the top of my head who they beat. Was it the Bulls? Oh, it might have been. You might be right there. Yeah, and so they're, they're a very well-coached team, and they have good players on their team. They've, they've had some injuries, and they've been missing Dirk Nowitzki, so that makes a big difference. But it doesn't mean that this team is, is by any means – no game for this, for this Kings team. I was going to say that. There are no trap games. And no. <laughs> It just, you can't have that mindset. And Philly to me was another worrisome game because it was, that is a very, very talented young team. And that's had a, a rough couple seasons as they've been rebuilt in a, a very bizarre, unorthodox way. But it looks like it's starting to work for them. And Joel, uh, Joel indeed that night had, you know, his minute restriction had gone from 24 to 28 minutes, which was a big deal mm -hmm. when you consider the fact that when Philly has indeed on the court, they're the number two ranked defense in this league. When he is off the court, it's the 30th ranked. They wow. lost, I want to say, six games by less than seven, and four or five of those were by, by a point or two. So when you consider four minutes difference for your top defender to be on the floor, that makes a big difference for a team like that. Um, so, uh, again, Philly, Dallas, it doesn't matter. This team does not have the luxury of looking at any game and saying we're better than them. They are talent-wise when you go up and down the roster, but they have not put it together, and it's about the performance that you have on the court. 
I completely agree. Well, thank you so much for checking in with us. I know it's been a long couple of weeks for you. Just too much stuff going on, too much travel. Uh, we wish you safe travels to Dallas. Not well now that you're in Dallas, but then we'll see you later this week when you you come home to, uh, what is it, Utah on Friday? Something like no, that. No, we have uh, New York on Friday, oh, it is and then we'll be Friday night to go to Utah. <laughs> That's right. It goes it goes New York, and then a back to back in in Utah. Yeah. So in uh, Utah. Yeah. Yeah. No rest for the weary. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining me, Katie. No problem. Have a good one. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me in the talkback portion of the podcast, Mister Aaron Bruski of Hoop Ball dot com. A.B., we got the melee in Manhattan. What's going on? My God. What a morning. (laughs) Could you have a more Kangs Monday morning? I don't think you could. I I wake up. You know, the birds are chirping. I'm feeling great. It's another start to another wonderful week. And then you get this TMZ report with Matt Barnes, and I'm sure we'll get into that. And and even the Rondo thing, you know, it was like – Really? Are we going to have that happen? How, how kangs can we get for a Monday morning? Dueling banjos. I, I almost started the podcast by singing the uh, the like first stanza of The Sound of Silence because it, it, it's just like very, very... Uh, it's darkness. It, it is. It's darkness, again, hanging over the Sacramento Kings. Um, the Kings have yet to release their own statement, although Matt Barnes has has had his attorney out uh, sort of doing the rounds, making sure everyone knows that it was Matt Barnes who got beat up, not someone else. Uh, And I just think that there's going to be a little bit of fallout over this. uh, And I don't know what that means, but isn't this kind of what happens when you bring in a guy who has been known to get in physical altercation? I mean, can you be surprised, I guess is the real Mm -hmm. answer. No, you can't be surprised. I, I mean, talked about this on an earlier show over at Hoopball, not related to this this topic, but it came up because it's big news. Is I mean, they were chanting Derek Fisher's name at, at Madison Square Garden. And it's not surprising to see, not just with his background, but, you know, in that place with that kind of a thing happening after a loss, you know, that that this might be something that would happen in, in that same night. And, and yeah, bringing in Matt Barnes, even kind of circling this from 30,000 feet, Matt Barnes has had run of the yard with this team. I mean, and, and it was, was a comment I had made during the game. I was watching it, trying to catch up during the first half. So I wasn't really with live action. And I just watched him make this horrid play after horrid play. And then nothing would ever happen. I mean, he never got yanked. There was no change in, in direction with him. Don't do that anymore. That's that's not, you know, you're going to get benched. And it's been that way for a couple weeks. So I don't know where the lines blur and how much of this stuff is interconnected. It could be completely unconnected. This could be an isolated incident. He could indeed be the victim. You know, you, you, you just never know what this stuff is. This will all be fleshed out. You know, we've, we've heard DeMarcus Cousins' audio and the video there. Chances are there'll be some club video. NYPD is investigating. All eyes are on this. The NBA, I'm sure, will be investigating. So, um, you know, the truth will come out. But it it feels to me like there's no checks and balances with this ball club. And it started with Ty Lawson earlier in the year. And and 
where 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 basketball ends and off the court begins is a little bit unclear. But this is maybe the nightmare scenario for the Kings because the anti-Demarcus Cousins crowd has their you know they've they got their pitchforks they're ready to go you know they're ready to go to war over this thing, and it's just I, I thought it might be bad without that <laughs> you know with just the losing on the court. And and now you add this to the equation. It's not not good news. I, I think that's the understatement of the year. Okay, so for all of you who didn't wake up Monday morning to some sort of report, let's just kind of clarify what's happened. Uh, Matt Barnes, Demarcus Cousins go out to a, a a club in New York City after the Kings lost to the Knicks on Sunday afternoon. Look, that is well within their rights as NBA players. Most NBA players go out, especially in a big city like New York. They had a driver. Clearly, you can see they had a driver, so there was no potential DUI stuff. They had, uh, it looks to be security with them, a security, although it wasn't King security, it wasn't Hakeem, wasn't with them, but it did look like they did have someone with them. And I guess Matt Barnes and, and DeMarcus Cousins went to go into a VIP room in some club and uh and in doing so Matt Barnes accidentally bumped a girl's butt like they they I don't know if he hip checked her or or what and she turned around and slapped him and then things escalated from there and uh she had a group of of individuals with her that uh included multiple men and um, according to Matt Barnes to TMZ, he was actually knocked to the floor uh, and and was getting choked. And he's got he's taken pictures of himself to prove his side of the story. Uh, but then Demarcus Cousins comes in to kind of help out to help his guy. Um, there's no video so far of what's happened inside the club, but there certainly is video of sort of the aftermath outside. And that is DeMarcus Cousins and Matt Barnes walking around. And Barnes doesn't really say much in the video. DeMarcus Cousins says quite a bit. And he's he's rubbing his knuckles. Uh, he he looks like he uh, may have done a little bit of damage to his right hand, although we're hearing that, that he's fine. Um, and he makes some statements. And really, there are people talking during the middle of his statements. And... It, it, it actually it means a lot there's one word uh you know he says matt was getting choked i think choked out and then he drops a couple of explicits and and then he also says uh either he beat the blank out of that guy or i beat the blank out of that guy and that's going to be something that i think uh, it'll become like the Zapruder, the Zapruder film. We'll we'll never quite know exactly what the audio says, Aaron. Uh, but those interpretations are going to mean a lot because whether Demarcus Cousins threw a punch or Matt Barnes threw a punch, um, whether they're going to get uh, arrested by the NYPD, it does not look like that's going to happen. Well, we have no idea at this point whether assault charges will be fired filed. But certainly, when it comes to to getting paying someone someone out chances are you're gonna have to, it's gonna come down to like what those words actually said and then on top of that um i think the biggest issue is these two represent sacramento kings and i, I it sounds like boogie was just stepping up and trying to help a guy help his his teammate who got himself in a bad situation somehow and it may all be just one big misunderstanding that went haywire but either way there was there was more uh 
it, it got physical. It got physical. And, and, you know, again, these guys represent the Sacramento Kings when they're out in public, even if they aren't, uh, even if it's not on court or sanctioned NBA events, they still, it's Matt Barnes and DeMarcus Cousins of the Sacramento Kings. And so it's a, uh, another negative story to get filed. And it's unfortunate once again. Um, but I, again, I think we're going to have to wait and see what actually happens to this or if it just goes away and it just becomes like another, oh, this thing happened out at a nightclub. Yeah. And, you know, we actually slowed down that audio and you can go listen for yourself at hoop-ball.com. Um, basically, it's the timing of the other people chirping in in the video or probably the video and the audio is is almost like I don't even want to use the word comically, but like literally in the keywords, if you're talking legally, somebody shouts over DeMarcus right at the point in time where he either describes Matt Barnes as hitting somebody or as others have reported that he said that he hit somebody. Um, but if you isolate that word, it's my belief that he says Matt hit somebody okay. and we slowed it down. And um, either way, I don't think it's conclusive what he said. I wouldn't feel comfortable reporting on it. I'll put it put it to you that uh, way. I don't I don't either. I didn't feel comfortable writing it in the, the story that I had to write for this. You know, what it kind of felt like it kind of felt like Anchorman, like, well, that escalated quickly. Like, <laughs> I, I think I killed a guy with a trident. It's like, yeah, hey, Matt, I think you're going to want to get out of town for a couple well, of Well, there was a second. <laughs> there was a second. <laughs> I, I can't believe you just brought Anchorman into this, but that's great. I mean, and, I, and you have to have some this is the thing. Come on now. Well, and this is the thing. This is all very sad. And, and you're to the more important points. This is a representation of Sacramento. This is not good any way you slice it. And they can try to blame this on the media, but this is not a media issue. This is a if you put yourself into these positions, you have to really watch yourself and make sure that if you're on the ropes, so to speak, if you're Matt Barnes in the media, you're on the ropes. I mean, it is what it is. You know, if you're DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento, you're on the ropes. You know, there, there's a lot of people that want you out of here. They want the Kings to hit the hard reset button. And, and it doesn't matter if it goes to the, you know, the 10 to 15 year tanking quest, you know, to try to gain relevance again in the NBA. You know, they're like, I don't care. It's just different. I don't want what we've got right now. I just want something different. It doesn't matter if it makes any sense or not. Um, you know, so you got to just mind your P's and Q's and not get into situations like this. Um, and your earlier question of why do you bring in a Matt Barnes? You know, I thought, you know, if you have a Matt Barnes who's in his role, who does, you know, if he's if he's if he's in his lane, if if he's not given kind of the full run of the yard, that could be good for the Kings. You know, on the court, you add toughness on the court. You add some savvy on the court. You you get a guy that can can be a little bit of a glue guy. But he's been out there, you know, chucking up shots making bad plays, gambling at bad times, no discipline whatsoever. And, and it just kind of begs the question of what's really going on, um, you know, with him in, in a pure basketball sense even. Um, well, so, I think, it, and, and hey, not even a pure basketball sense. This was like, you could see this coming. I mean, if you are watching the internet, Matt Barnes fancies himself some sort of sensation. I mean, all week long, every single day, He's bringing out a bottle of Hennessy on the on, on Instagram and, and doing little videos with oh you know we're gonna get to the Hennessy a bottle of Hennessy and uh, and then Demarcus and you know they're going to the movies and and again you see it 
it's almost like again just to bring some sort of you know comedic relief to this it's almost like austin powers when he's driving the steamroller and he's waving at the guy to get out of the way and the guy won't get out of the way and he eventually runs him over this you saw it coming if you if you didn't see it coming and i and again like we watch we'll we'll get to the basketball stuff but if you watch any of our hour and a half pregame show against the boston celtics everyone was there Vivek is there, Vlade's there, everyone's there. The entire franchise is on the road having a good time. They somebody should have said, Hey, look, can you stop Instagramming like the alcohol that you're about to drink? Can you because you do, you represent us, you represent, you know, so much more. There are kids that watch that. You have your own kids out there. I mean, just you know what? Again, I, I have a 13-year-old, and my 13-year-old's not going to Instagram that stuff when he's 18 because he knows that future employers are going to be looking at that. And if he doesn't understand that, that I just don't it, – it's frustrating. It is. You'd like to be able to think that somebody should be able to consume alcohol responsibly and and be able to publish something about that in a way that isn't necessarily something that we get all up in arms about. But this is the flip side of the argument is well look what happens a week later i mean it's well exactly not... it's a slippery slope you're like oh should we say anything about that it's really not a good look uh... i mean and, and then there's there's a lot of different shades of gray in that you know if some that the world's most responsible adult i don't know who that would be and you know send your send your your examples of the world's most responsible adult in you know tweets out a picture of them drinking a bottle of wine on a winery you know they're not going to be this big you know out outlash or whatever but well, i think I, I think i've put out a, a picture of a an old-fashioned at a restaurant that was just beautiful right and, and you you don't want to like you don't want to step on somebody because they do that because it's it's their right to do that and it's not necessarily in a vacuum bad but again this this goes back to past indiscretions this goes back to narrative this goes back to you know what happens five days later it goes and, back to being a 36 year old man that was brought in to be sort of the guiding hand to get through this. And that, I think, is the bigger issue, Aaron. It's that you bring in Anthony Tolliver. You bring in Garrett Temple. And we keep bringing these guys up because, number one, you love Garrett Temple. Uh, and I think he's a good basketball player as well. Uh, but they, we bring these guys up because they brought them in specifically to build a culture. The, both of these guys won Teammate of the Year with their respective teams last season. They are high, high character guys. Same thing with Aaron Aflalo. High character guy, stays in his lane, doesn't cause problems. But then, in addition to these other guys, at the last second, you go, you know what, let's add Matt Barnes. Oh, you know what, let's add Ty Lawson. And I, I kind of feel bad for Ty at this point because outside of that one situation, which we still don't know the entire story of in Las Vegas, uh, he's done everything that you've asked of him. He hasn't been an incredible basketball player, but he's played really hard. He's played really good defense. He he's done a lot of things that, that you didn't know that he, he would do. And he's kind of stayed out of trouble. And of course he's not in this video, which is, you know, thankful for the Kings. But again, you bring in the potential, the potential for disaster, the, the potential for distraction and the potential to, again, taint the water. And, and I think that that in itself is where 
I think a lot of people are going to be judgmental on the Kings at this point. Well, and then you also look at what the team has been doing on the floor and, and kind of the, what's going on in the background with the machinery of the team. It's been very much Dave Yeager's call on, on all of this. You know, Matt Barnes with his outsized role has been a Dave Yeager call. The, uh, the decision to keep Ty Lawson in a featured role and to really, you know, look the other way as far as what happened in Vegas, you know, that was driven by and large by Dave Yeager's support of him. And now you get to a point where guys that you've mentioned, Garrett Temple, Anthony Tolliver, Aaron Aflalo, but in particular, a guy like Garrett Temple, and Garrett Temple's your third or fourth best basketball player right now. It's not even close. It's ridiculous that this guy's not playing big minutes. And you got Matt Barnes there kicking the ball around the yard, having terrible games. But there but are other yeah, nights where Barnes is integral, and he he doesn't have terrible games, and he has. Well, I, I've games. been as big. I've probably been as big on Matt Barnes as anybody, and I can tell you for the last two weeks he's been terrible. Well, and and that's and that's fine. It's two weeks. He's been terrible. The Boston game, he was terrible. He had big numbers. Terrible. It's the eye in the sky don't lie with this stuff. And as far as Garrett Temple goes, I'm willing to put every single piece of basketball credibility I have on the table and say, if he's not playing 33 minutes a game, it is a blatantly bad basketball decision, which begs the question of why. Why is he not playing? Why? And I believe... I think on most nights he's playing 24 to 26 minutes. I I don't think he's not playing starter minutes, but, I mean, he is playing. Well, he's averaging like 23 minutes a game right now. Yeah, I I mean, those are things that I, I think you know, in the long run, it can be worked out. I think when you look at the fact that Matt Barnes is is now shooting 35.8% from the field and 29.8% from three, and his numbers are down across the board, he's down, you know, in points and rebounds, but he's still averaging 25.6 points a night. And then, you know, if we go just directly, let's just like get off the fact that whether or not this whole incident should play into anything, but the Kings have lost you know, three in a row, they've lost four out of five. And of the three games that they've lost in a row, I think we can say that the two of the three were completely beatable teams and the other game was a completely winnable game. But I'll even say this, it's not Matt Barnes' fault that the Kings are getting off to horrendous starts in every single game. I mean, they were down 21 in the first half this last game. And I even tweeted out, they were up 13 to 9. I said, oh, no more slow start tonight. And then, boom, it's like someone literally put a lid on the basket and they couldn't hit another shot. And also, well, I mean, I was going to say, like New York, they're, they're actually a team that you can start Coast Kufus against. It wasn't actually a bad uh, personnel decision to have Coast on the floor. And Costa played well. And that's why it looked like that early start thing might be going away. Yeah, but, but I think Costa plays well, and I'm, this isn't an, an it, indictment on Costa. It's that Costa and DeMarcus together on the floor does not work at all. No, it doesn't It doesn't work at all, and it also doesn't work when you've got maybe the slowest team that we've seen in a while in the NBA. Um, you know, Costa, DeMarcus, Aaron Aflalo, Rudy Gay, that is as slow as you get two through five in the league, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work to get 50-50 balls. It doesn't put the other team at a disadvantage. You're not gaining anything by being that big. So, yeah, there's no reason to do that. But, again, the fact that Matt Barnes has carte blanche in this lineup, you're playing and losing all these close games, and a player of Garrett Temple's caliber that is in 
practically every single one of your best lineups, and it was nine out of 10 heading into last night of lineups that play more than 20 minutes a season, and he's in nine of 10 of them. It's not even close. I mean, and, and the, the crazy part about it is he fits what the Kings need so much because he's not a heavy, he's not a heavy touch guy. He's a defender. I mean, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever that he's not playing big minutes. And it appears as if Matt Barnes, by virtue of his standing within the team, you know, with his relationship with Dave Yeager, with the way that DeMarcus Cousins resonates with him, he has gotten those minutes instead of Garrett Temple. Aaron Aflalo has gotten those minutes instead of Garrett Temple. I mean, even Ty Lawson has gotten minutes instead of Garrett Temple. And you, you're losing these close games. Every single time the Garrett Temple lineup comes in, they make up the deficit that the non-Garrett Temple lineup gave up. So basketball-wise, that's just one little change that they could make. In addition, if they, if they just get coasted into the second unit, he's looked great in that unit. And that unit has a lot of promise. So I think there are some easy changes that could be made, but it's a philosophical thing in this organization right now where Dave Yeager doesn't want to budge. And, and you got guys like Omri Caspi that deserve minutes. Yeah, I think so. And see, that's the problem. I think that, that you have other options. You have options at at the four or at the three. You can push Rudy Gay to the four. You can you can insert Omri Caspi into the starting lineup. You can insert what we saw, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein playing huge minutes uh, in, in Sunday's loss to to uh, the Knicks where all of a sudden he's able to guard all these guys on the perimeter or at least attempt to guard. He was active. They're, they're finding him at the rim. And, you know, so I think you could go with a lineup that features your three best offensive players with your two best defensive players in, in or most versatile defensive players. I don't want to say if they're the best defensive players because I, mean, I think Temple's probably their best defensive player, but uh, I think Cousins a really good defender. I, I actually think Kufis is a good team defender and a good man on defender. He's just not a true shot blocker. So I, I just think that there is a way here that the Kings could tweak and tweak and tweak. And it seems like Jaeger is still tweaking. I was surprised following the Boston game. He was asked whose fault it was, uh, if there was anything he could do. Actually, was there anything that he could do to get them off to a faster start? And he said no. It was like whoa. Uh, that, that that was really shocking to me because the data, the pure analytics data, is is blatantly obvious. And then Katie I mean, you... followed it up and said, "So you're saying it's on the players?" And he said, "Yep." I was like, "Whoa, hell!" Like... Well, and it makes me wonder: is there something else going on in the background where it's causing? It's more of a, it's a gut decision, not a an X's and O's or a analytics decision x's and o's it's real obvious analytics is real obvious but is it like you know like kendrick perkins for for all those years uh, in oklahoma city got the start even though the eye test the the numbers test everything said you don't play this guy and scott brooks basically said i'm playing him no matter what like he's a part of the fabric of this team and and we're just going to do it and and so looking at this with matt barnes you know, Matt Barnes is getting his full allotment of minutes. You know, Coast Kufa at center, he's getting those minutes no matter what. Ty Lawson's getting those. And and Ty, actually, I'm very happy with Ty, just to kind of throw that in there. I think that he's had a great run off the bench here. 
but this it's like Garrett Temple was, you know, perhaps a Ken Catanella guy. You know, Garrett Temple and and um, Anthony Tolliver, you know, maybe they're not Dave Yeager guys, and maybe they need to be Dave Yeager guys, but he's not willing to give in on that just yet. And now the Kings are twenty some odd games into the season, and what I think is, you know, from listening to Kings fans' reactions, they know, and I think people in the know know, that the first 20 to 30 to 40 games are so critical for this team because the trade DeMarcus bandwagon only gets louder at every stop. And the Kings have kind of held that off. And we've talked about this in the weeks before. This particular road trip was so huge for them. It's not a time to be trifling around with, I'm going to war with these guys, you know, hell or high water. I don't care what the results are. It's time to win games and you're losing games and winnable games against beatable teams by pure, just five points or less. I mean, it's crazy to think that with a few tweaks that they should be in the driver's seat in these games. I I really think there's three to four wins left on the table by this team. And if they have those, what's the narrative then? The narrative is that they've turned it around and, you know, Everything's going well in Sacramento, and it's just a massive shift, and, and now you have this incident, and who knows why this incident happens. You know, who, maybe they're in a great mood if they win that game. Maybe if, if they've won four more games than, than before, they're, they're just on cloud nine. Now that this stuff is happening, and, and it's a totally different mood. So I just think it's a massive sea change for a relatively simple decision, so what's the next move for the Kings? Are they just going to keep doing it or are they going to actually do something about it? No, I agree with you. I mean, it it is a big discussion. It is, what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? How is this thing going to turn around? And realistically, I'll even say this, Aaron, if the Philadelphia game doesn't get uh, whatever in the world that was, if it didn't, (laughs) the condensation didn't build up on the floor and make some bacon grease type substance, if that game doesn't happen, I'm going to tell you the Sacramento Kings win that game. Now they have some a little bit of momentum. You know what happens next? You're kind of like, well, I, I don't know. Do do they beat the the Celtics? Maybe not. Do they beat the Knicks? Maybe not. But even if they don't, and they just come in and they beat the Dallas Mavericks on Wednesday, which again, Dallas is so incredibly horrible. Dallas ranks last in uh, field goal percentage, three point percentage rebounding, free throw attempts, assists, and points per game. They are atrocious, and they're not a good defensive team either. They are the worst team in basketball right now, and the Kings go in with drama. And if they don't win on Wednesday, then this thing is is coming off its rails. But if they do win on Wednesday, and they go 2-3 and on the trip, and you can look back and say... You know, three and three on a six game trip, regardless of who you play, three and three would have been just fine if you filter in the Philly game. I again we're talking about a different narrative. It's not a great narrative, like, oh, they're on they're in the hunt. But we're like, okay, they're still figuring out who they are. And that's the thing. I Jaeger is still figuring out who this team is. And I mean, I, I don't know how, how else to I, like I I, I I guess what at what point in time is it already figured out yeah I, I mean i mean that that's the question is it doesn't seem like this team's real confusing at this point it's you've got a, a pretty strong lineup if you you know do the things that we've been talking about here 
and and mix that second unit accordingly. Um, and you're right, that that Philly game I, when it happened, I thought to myself, I better check those pick swaps again because <laughs> you know it's like Philly was like, oh, they got momentum. You know, we we need to to knock them down a peg. Let's let's. I didn't even the, think about that. I didn't even think about the pick swap. Yeah. Let's let's it's, let's grease the floor real quick. Yeah, let's no, grease the floor. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> it was a momentum killer, and you could see that happening. And and I thought that the league should make the make Philly deal with it. You know, make, if they're going to lose revenue, they lose revenue. I mean, you guys didn't set the timer on the air conditioner. Well, you know, that's and they your had a guy. Bad. Hey, I. I that whole situation, we can talk about that for a sec. First of all, we had an hour and a half pregame show. I don't know if you saw that. I, I did catch a lot of that. It was, abso- it was absolutely comical. For me, it felt like I was on a Jerry Lewis telethon. We just kept talking and talking and talking. And uh, and it was fine. Like, There's no complaints there. It was actually it was a good time. I, I really enjoy the company of Doug Christie and Jim Cozumore. They're both very good dudes. Uh, and I'll say this too. For people who see us at the games together... Doug is the most gracious man that has ever walked the earth. He stops for every single person who yells, Doug, or can I get your picture? And he comes over, he'll be eating, and people will start yelling his name incessantly. And like, it's not even nice. It's like, Doug, 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 Doug. And he will go over and sign for people. I just put it out there. I I don't even know how he does it because I don't have the patience like to to have to deal with what he has to deal with anyway the pregame show we knew like 24 minutes in that the game was canceled and i put it out on twitter games canceled and people are like oh wrong it's like i like seriously like no the game is canceled well the 76ers made a conscious decision to not tell anyone for almost an hour that the game wasn't canceled, Aaron. It was hilarious, man. It they're was, selling. They're, no, they're going to sell. They're going to make money on those concessions, and I then guess. they're going to get another game out of it sometime whenever they reschedule this thing. But there's no question. It was over. And then, and, even like 40 minutes in, they had that PA announcer. I'm like, the PA announcer is about to announce that there will not be a game tonight. The dude does it again. He says, oh, we're going to make a final decision in 15 minutes. The decision had been made at that point at least 40 minutes earlier, and then That's they hilarious. finally do it. I have never seen well, anything like that. And here's the upshot of this. If you're the Sixers, if they if the Kings do sell all their players or whatever, then and then the Sixers play them down the road, they got a better chance of winning. So it's um, – I guess, but was, you also – you had no Simmons. You had, uh, you had Embiid on a, a minutes you know, rate, uh, restriction. I mean – the Kings were 100% healthy coming into that game. That's a game that if you're the Kings, you want to play now just in case, just in case something strange happens with that team and they start gelling and all of a sudden they're good and the Kings aren't. And not that the Kings were good coming into that game, but um, I, again, missed opportunity that that game was just totally bizarre. And now they're trying to wedge it in, in the middle of January during a seven game road trip where the Kings already have two sets of back-to-backs and that would give them the third set of back-to-back. I tell the NBA, you figure out a different day when we got four days off. You make them cancel a concert. You make them cancel the circus, whatever it is, and we'll come. We'll fly out there when we're out doing something else. But we're not going to play that game until until it's right for us. Not to make it the eighth game on a on a road trip and, and the third back to back on the trip. That's just that's just not even fair for the Kings. And I guess to forward this conversation to where I mean, my Twitter feed was lighting up last night with people wanting to tear it down and 
that's, I think, the direction that this conversation is really heading is at what point in time is enough enough for Kings fans and the organization? And what are you really looking at in terms of an end game scenario? If you do trade a DeMarcus Cousins, are you getting anything of value back? Are you putting the organization in a better chance to win? Are you, oh, no, you're you know, getting where... a bajillion dollars for, for DeMarcus Cousins. I don't care what anyone says. Like, If there was ever a deal with the Boston Celtics, it's everything they got. It's well, that's my point. Is and, yeah. and is there a team so Boston that got those assets? Are they going to actually pull the trigger on it? And I don't think that they will. Well, no, I, it's, I don't... it's the Kings who haven't pulled the trigger because trust me, there's enough evidence out there that that you know the Celtics are beyond interested in Demarcus Cousins. They've done their research for years on Demarcus Cousins. But what are they willing to give? I mean, Jalen Brown shouldn't be moving the needle for anybody. But like if Jalen Brown, Brown, two first-round picks, which are both lottery picks, you've got both the next pick this year and next year because the Celtics have the right to swap, and they can trade both picks, and then they have this, the Nets pick next season, uh, the following season. So not only this summer, but the next summer, uh, when the Nets are still not going to be any good. If you've got so those two, two you're going you're gonna to do two first-round picks, essentially. A, a third with Jalen Brown, basically. He's a third first-round pick. And then on so top you, of that the Kings are going to want either Crowder or they're going to want Avery Bradley. See, I've not seen a, a report that's even included that in, in, in like a, a reasonable discussion. There was a report by a uh, uh, last name, Rob, Brian Rob, who's uh, I forget his affiliation. He just switched uh, outlets. He wrote up a piece where there was some pretty aggressive uh, offers on the table. It included Janet Brown. It included uh, Amir Johnson. It included, to the two first round picks, um, or actually, no, it included Jalen Brown and one of the two first round picks. It did yeah. not include it did not not include the full three, which you're basically saying, okay, Jalen Brown, who went three, but a lot of people should thought he should have gone like eight, seven in that range. I'm just um, gonna tell you, the Kings aren't putting out those reports, so anything that you're seeing is is the Boston Celtics I, or someone I, associated around them thinking that they can put out reports that start setting the the parameters for a deal well i think they're just speculating at this point and that is like the furthest that they've gone like that particular report is the the, everything else has been garbage i mean centering a trade around uh, jalen brown and practically nothing else was kind of the middle of the road offer that you would see floated out there like they would think that the kings would value jalen brown enough to make him the centerpiece of a deal and there was nothing else of value in the deal. Yeah. That's what you're seeing out there. But now they took it a little bit further when the Kings came into town and that, so I've not seen all three picks. So if you go first rounder, first rounder and Jalen Brown, assuming that all pans out, you're you're talking about three bullets in your gun to try to get something remotely close to what DeMarcus Cousins brings. Um, And and looking in, in past draft, you know, history, Kind of where where is that happening? You're getting Carl Anthony Towns with a one pick, you know that that in in the in the grand scheme of things that would be a, somebody that you would be like okay I could. But trade you're also getting Anthony that. Bennett with a number one pick, so I mean, there's that, no guarantees. That's the point with this. That's the point with this thing. Yeah, there are no guarantees. So if you're getting three bullets in the gun, and and what's the the percentage chance of each bullet in the gun? You know, is it twenty? But the, but the problem is that even if you have three bullets in the gun, like you say, 
you're you're still going to have the issue that even if he's a great young player, it's going to take two or three years for him to be anything. And so you're taking again. I I don't even know how to describe this because can you take a step back? Because I don't know that you can. But you have a brand new arena. You get a year, maybe two of goodwill, but then the fans want to see something, or that place is going to be it's going to be a ghost town, and that the Kings are completely cognizant of it. They're freaking out about it, so they have to. They know they have to be good, but it's. I think that's why you have to be very cautious about doing any knee jerk reaction right now, because if you go into this summer. And Darren Collison, Rudy Gay, Omri Caspi, Ty Lawson, you opt out of Tolliver, you opt out of Aaron Aflalo, all of a sudden you have you have like $70 million in cap space, $36 million in cap space. Uh, I mean, at $60 million in cap space. I mean, you have so much cap space, it's ridiculous. So now you maybe you can improve your team. Maybe you got to overpay for somebody, but you know, you can still, you can do something. I, I don't know. I, I think you need players around DeMarcus Cousins that can help him continue to be, you know, on the right trajectory. Because you know, the the scoring, the production, all that stuff, you know, you don't find that at basically anywhere. And as far as the things that detract from his game, you know, with referees, with technicals, with certain mental lapses, and that's the thing I think that's been most discouraging for Kings fans watching that is during the last few, you know, ends of games – there have been serious lapses by DeMarcus Cousins in his judgment that you, you look at his overall progression as a player, you can't be trying to draw a foul on a three-point shot in crunch time and, and then, you know, be upset. He had upset a good answer you, for that. Did you hear that? He, I he, don't. He had a very good answer. He said that Horford had been handsy every single step of the way the entire night, and he had put his hands on him, and he thought that he would get the call. And he said, and then Horford wasn't. He said, so my bad. And well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he said that. But the decision to do that is not, you know, it's not wise. And it also speaks to the decision of why are you going at Al Horford? But it's literally you know? how James Harden scores like half of his points doing that exact same thing. where he, Yeah, but he Harden, has the, Harden has the referee's respect and, and Cousins doesn't. And he doesn't, he doesn't understand how that works yet. Well, I think it was a clean play either way. I mean, I think that I think it was a good call by the officials. I I think it was just it's a bummer, but that's what the call was. And you know, Cousins just didn't get he didn't bait Horford into the play. So, right, and I mean, and to kind of bring this full circle, you know, you're looking at what are you doing with Demarcus Cousins long term, and the question is, is okay. So if you liquidate the asset, what are you doing? What are you getting back in return? And, okay, a lot of people that are anti DeMarcus Cousins people out there go and they say, well, it doesn't matter. We're just getting rid of this, this dark cloud and, and we're, we're starting fresh. But the issue isn't that you're starting fresh. You're, you're basically reducing the team down to zero assets and you're trying to build through free agency and the draft. And free agents aren't going to come to Sacramento to play. So you could, you could scratch that one off the list as far as, you know, anything of an impact free agent, you're going to be looking at hopefully a lot of Garrett Temple types and, and getting those into the building. And then in the draft, it is a crapshoot. And rebuilding like that is like a 10-year process. You know, there's only a, a handful, you could probably count on one hand, examples of where tanking like that has produced anything of value 
in the NBA. Even the to... Minnesota Timberwolves, they're not winning. They're horrible. I mean, they're uh, they're worse than the Kings right now. I mean, and look at like the the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, that is like lightning in the bottle, and you still squandered it, you know, in Oklahoma City. Um, they're they're the one example that would work, and then the Spurs many many years ago. And so you're talking about very unique, high end Hall of Fame players: Tim Duncan, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. There, the, the 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 history books are scattered with teams that have blown it with draft picks. So. All you're really saying is let's get a lot worse for a chance that we might get an equivalent talent in the draft. You know, the odds are not in our favor and it's and it's heavily tilted against us as well as, you know, w- with DeMarcus, all, all we're getting in, in return for that is we're just taking away this one central component of this team. And in reality, DeMarcus probably needs to be the second or third loudest voice on any team he plays on going forward. But the talent is undeniable. So the question always was this year, can you turn this ship, and, and it's a big ship that needs to be turned, it's going to take a long time to turn it, can you turn it and point it in the right direction? Because you're going to get fleeced. The minute you sell him, you're going to get fleeced, or at least yeah. that's what the odds are. And now, you, if, you, if you don't do that in these first 40 games, you might as well just chalk it up as a big loss. And, and yeah, you can turn the page and you can, you can wipe the books clean, but don't act like it's the panacea. Like, don't plan on a championship parade going down J Street anytime in the next 10 to 15 years. It's going to be a shot in the dark. And then from there, you're just starting off at the bottom and, and you know, clawing your way up. Yeah, and I'd also add this. With the new NBA salary structure, you have to spend your money. And, and I think that that's one thing that I think when the salary cap is at 70 million and you got to be within 10% of the 70 million, that's one thing. But when the salary cap hit, hits like 105 million, which it will this year, I think it's 102 or 105, you got to spend like $95 million. How do you do that? And and that is such a, like if I'm an NBA team, am I going to just give like mediocre players 20 year a uh, one year 20 million dollar deals just to get up to the salary floor and that's kind of i mean that's why dumping players is is not an easy thing right now although if you're a team like the kings and you think that maybe you can add a piece here or there that makes sense maybe the dallas mavericks are a team that looks at their team and go man we got to blow this thing up and this is horrible and you know we've got west matthews under contract for the next three years and maybe maybe the kings would take a Flalo and, and some other piece that are expiring and we can do better with that and, and start over next year as opposed to waiting. Maybe that's where the Kings can add value to this team without blowing it up. But I mean, I, I fully get what you're saying about, you know, the assets that you may or may not get for cousins. Here's the other side. And it's something that I said earlier in the week and people freaked out, like whatever on the East coast. I, I said on a podcast, that I think it's just as like, well, actually, I think it's more likely that DeMarcus Cousins stays in Sacramento and signs a massive contract extension this summer than it is that he gets traded. And people look at me, they're like, what are you talking about? And I'll say, look, he is not even remotely close to the player he was when he was a few years ago when he was, you know, he could be a handful. He He's not even close. And if you watch and all of his technicals this year, I don't know one of them that makes you feel really like he deserved it. 
here and there he yells at some, but still he's getting technicals. I think he's up to either six or seven now, and he's up and they're completely on reputation. We got crazy Draymond Green kicking everybody, <laughs> kicking people in the head. I mean, I, I in our power rankings, I, I I I associated it. I said, look, man, this isn't you know this isn't blood sport. This isn't the what is it the Kumite. It, it, like stop kicking people dude what what are you doing uh, there were people out there that actually defended that and, and cousins is the bad guy but draymond it, he kicked a dude in the head in one game and then the next, he kicked he kicked chris right in the butt i mean it was and it wasn't even close just like ah I'll kick you and then he and he also he got called for uh, a personal foul after the fact where he smacked a guy after a after a missed shot and they added a personal foul to him, and he freaked out. Cousins did the exact same thing and got a technical, not even a flagrant, which is what he should have got. He actually got another technical, and it's just well, what it is. I think the acts, on. the acts are technical worthy when you look at them. They're not all technical worthy. They're, they're they, they, I, there's a couple that should be rescinded, and I was kind of wondering where the league was on that. Yeah, but the um, a couple what as in it, like what, four, three, what or it four is. Of them is the reality is not matching up in the sense that he, by and large, anybody that's watched Marcus Cousins like we have know that he has been better with the referees this year than maybe any year of his career. Yeah. He is on pace to get his first suspension by like January. Yeah. Mid-season. Mid-season. <laughs> so he is, he's the pacing two realities, like, like 28 technicals. Yeah. It, the two realities don't line up. So that's why it's weird to me. Um, I would like to see him get like at least one rescinded because I mean there's a couple there's a one I forget which one was just absolutely terrible but yeah it's it's a weird situation and he's had again, two double texts the Myers Leonard one which was so horrible and uh, Myers then, Leonard was practically you know he was playing dirty out there and then the Joe Kim Noah thing where Joe Kim was like touching him and like squeezing him and he just pushed him off and said hey knock it off and it's like look that's not a, like a near fight. It's not, I, I mean, come on, call the game like it should be called. If there's something that's overt and needs to be dealt with, you, you have to handle your business as an, as an official well, or I'll it just escalates, to, you know, but that's it's just it, trash. I'll try to pull this full circle because, you know, last year Rondo was brought on veteran influence, blah, 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 all that stuff. <laughs> and it had such a profound effect on DeMarcus Cousins, like the way he played the game, the, the, the pick and the pop. You know, because Rondo can't get anybody, you know, to, to actually commit to him in the pick and roll. So the only thing that really could happen was DeMarcus could drift out to the three-point line and, and you know, shoot the threes. With leadership, you know, clapping at the referees. The, the people you bring around DeMarcus Cousins are going to have a profound effect on the way he plays. Now you get Matt Barnes in there. Matt Barnes is a fighter. He is a guy that's going to deliver the hard fouls. He's going to be a guy that, that delivers messages like, it's, you know, the media is up to, to no good again, and you know, they're out to get me. And with the way that he plays the game, you know, when he plays nice and smart, that can have a positive impact on DeMarcus Cousins. But when he's out there gambling, I mean, he went and doubled on Joe Kim Noah, and Joe Kim Noah's only option was to fling a ball over his head without looking at the hoop, and he left a, a wide-open corner three. He had numerous examples just yeah. like that. Joe Kim Noah should never, ever in his entire career be double teamed. Ever, ever. And so not why, should, one time. 
why should DeMarcus Cousins have uh, responsibility on defense if Matt Barnes doesn't have responsibility on because defense? Because if you want to win, it doesn't matter who's doing what next to you. You go out there and play your hardest. And so he I, hasn't, get, I get your he hasn't point. Learned that, he hasn't learned that lesson yet, though. Yeah, but I, I get your point. But that, I mean, that's the end of it. Like, uh, if you don't learn that by like age 12 or, or 10, that you go out there and play your hardest, that it, effort is the one thing in the world that you can control. Can I can I ask you a question? If if Matt Barnes doesn't get pulled when he's having a bad game, why and and doing those things, why would anybody else on the team feel like they should uh, be held to that same level of accountability? Well, because when Cousins is on the floor, I don't think he's really worrying about. He's not seeing all that Matt Barnes does. You know, when he's on the bench watching, that's one thing. But he hasn't been on the bench watching very much. He's playing. I mean, his numbers are going up, but I mean, he's going to be playing 38 minutes a game by the end of the season. Um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, I, I think you're right, but I think he sees Matt Barnes as a guy who's playing, fighting alongside him. In some games, Matt Barnes is just incredible. All the little things that he does is incredible. And other nights, he goes one of 11 from the field and keeps shooting in in crunch time when you're down by three, you know? And, and that's, you know, I guess that would be the the one other thing that I'll bring up because we're, we're dragging this thing out. We got we to gotta end this thing. But the one other thing I'll bring up, Aaron, is I keep watching these games that come down to they're right there. They're right there at the end. Five minutes left, three minutes left. They're in the game. You know what I find every single time in this situation? That they shoot the three ball trying to get ahead or trying to tie it as opposed to just relying on what they know, getting the ball in the post, going to the basket, scoring the ball, cutting the lead to one, tying the game, they just keep going for the home run. And then when they miss, then the other team comes down and scores, and now now it's five points or it's four points. And now the panic even sets in worse. It's just this team just doesn't know how to win yet. And I, Jaeger talked about it early is competing and then figuring out how to win and then trying to recover from 20-point deficits in every game just completely wins you and you get to the end and you don't have the legs that you should. Aaron, that's when you rely on the high post. That's when you rely on the things, the fundamentals of basketball, and you play it straight and you try to function within the confines of what your your coach has taught you. And that's where it really comes down to this as a newly assembled team. They really don't know each other that well, relying on what is going to be the biggest question and, and so, I mean, it's going to take time. That's why, again, it's why Jaeger said in the beginning of the season, we're going to learn how to compete and then we're going to learn how to win. I think they learned how to compete because this team does compete. I mean, you look at their their recent stretch and every game was within three inside of five minutes. I mean, they lose by six in overtime to Washington. They lose by five to Boston. They lose by eight to the Knicks. Every single one of those games was winnable. And they just... They haven't quite figured out how to win yet, and it's it's disappointing to people, and it's frustrating, but at the same time, you know, I don't know what anyone else expected, because this isn't a team that's built like the Golden State Warriors with, you know, an all-star at every single position. It's just not. It's a different team that's built around two players, and then, you know, a handful of role players, and you're hoping that you can piece it together, and, and it's being done on the fly. And so, again, I I hope that you don't get in trouble and you don't have these incidents like what we're seeing in New York. And I hope that you can keep your head on straight and get some wins and and winnable games 
the same time, I don't know that anyone should expect anything different than what we're seeing right now on the court because it still is, I hate to rely on this, like it, it's a newly formed team. It's a newly formed coaching staff. It's a new everything. And you're 20 games in and you want to say, oh my gosh, this guy is falling. We're 7-13. and 13. You know what? If you expected better than 7-13 and 13 after 20 games with, with eight new players and a new coaching staff, you haven't been watching Kings basketball for the last decade. I kind of, I feel like you could isolate certain things and, and say, this is good, this is bad. And the I can good, pull five games and say they should have won those games. And Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I they really... Should, they should I, be 12 I, and 8. I really think they should be something like that, you know, 12 and 8, some thereabouts. I mean, you look at the, the losses and how they happen and, and what they did in those losses to to lose those games and how much they gave. I mean, they've been handing five to 10 points to the other team every single night, just handing, gifting them like, here you go, have, have five to 10 points. And that's, um, you know, the, the good, I do think they've been running a more structured offense. I think defensively it's been okay. Um, there's not the glaring things that we've seen in the past. Um, I think they have regressed a little bit in the last week or two on both fronts. You, you see the makings of a solid offense. I, I like when you start to see Cuz get the ball in the post and find wide-open three-point shooters. I do think that the high-post offense has got some merit, and it's been working a little bit. Um, but, you know, they, they've got to stop shooting themselves in the foot. And I guess I'll make this my final thought so we can get out of here. Yep. Is um, you, you have to, at some point in time, if you're losing by five points and you're gifting five to ten points to the other team by not playing Garrett Temple – that has to be a discussion point. That has to be something that you look at as a team and say, we're either going to do it or we're not. But if we're not going to do it, we got to accept the responsibility for not doing it. And beyond that, you know, good luck to the Kings as far as, uh, you know, the next couple of weeks go. They really got to turn it around now. And um, I, the good news is, is I think that, you know, those two tweaks hit Coast in the, in the second unit and, um, you know, put Temple in there for those 33 minutes. I think they can beat just about anybody that's not a top-tier team. Anyone that's not a top-tier team. All right, well, we, we've we dragged this thing out. Uh, the Kings return home on Friday night, uh, but then they're back out on the road. Their schedule does not get that much easier. That game in Dallas, you got to circle and say they have to win. They They win that game. They quiet a lot of the critics, a lot of the skepticism regarding this team. They'd still only be 8-13. and 13. Uh, They still have a giant hole to dig out of. But at the same time, you know, you got to take this one step at a time. Um, so we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll have another guest. Uh, me and Aaron will we'll hopefully have some, some content that isn't so negative to talk about. Uh, maybe we'll have an update on what's going on with the Matt Barnes situation. Um, so for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. We'll see you soon.